Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz. Yes. I actually have some good news. What? (laughs) Say what? We're so unaccustomed to good news here in our coronavirus dystopia that we're living in. Um, I this actually is a happy hour because number one, I think we're kind of happy today. And number two, I'm actually drinking wine while we're recording this because we're doing it at happy hour instead of during the day. Look, nothing has ever stopped anyone from day drinking. <laughs> we don't have a video oh, chat. <laughs> tell me, sister. You don't have to say it's me. But this is more, it's not really a glass of wine. It's like a bowl. I was going to say, is it like a big gulp or something? Like 32 <laughs> ounces? It's actually a, a Cabernet glass that's like overloaded with my favorite Chardonnay for those who want to know, which is Ramy Chardonnay. So if I get a little, if I start to sound like Joe Biden at the end of the podcast, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, just pull a Jill Biden and sneak in and just do my talking for me. I'll start talking for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So Liz, why don't you? You start off with the good news of the day, which was just broke an hour or so ago. Yeah. So we got a surprise today when the news came out that the Department of Justice has dropped the air quote case (laughs) against Lieutenant General Mike Flynn, who um, made the mistake of associating himself with the Trump campaign. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is makes guilty <laughs> lock him up That's um, right. so lieutenant general flynn was the national security advisor for like three minutes um but he had been with trump for most of the campaign he was a very early adopter and so when it came time to reward people um after after a presidential victory, you know, Flynn wanted the national security advisor position. And so he got it. And that panicked the Obama regime because in that position, Flynn would have have to know about all of the intelligence agencies shenanigans and their coup attempt. They, he would, I think he would have to see the FISAs. Like he'd have to go through, that would have to go through him somehow. So That was Flynn was going to be a problem for the coup and the institutional state. And so they set him up and it was a terrible travesty of justice. I don't think we would need to go through everything because our listeners are obviously they listen to us. They're smart. So, oh, it looks like Adam Schiff is actually. Oh, boy. Releasing things right now. Can you believe that shit? As soon as we hit record. (laughs) <laughs> to do the podcast, we get a dump. We just get this dump of stuff. It's oh, it's everybody. Bannon's, Michael Caputo's, oh boy, Hope Hicks, all of them. There's so many of them. Oh, Andrew oh, so McCabe. So he's doing the Trump people, not the Obama people. No, there's Clapper. There I just picked oh. out some names. Clapper, um, let's see who else. Mark Elias of Ooh, that's what I want. Perkins Coy, want to bookmark that. Mm-hmm. Um, Loretta Lynch, ding, ding, ding. Andrew McCabe, ding, ding, ding. Mary McCord. Want to see that one? Oh, yeah. This is just 
going to be a lot of fun. And of course, Sally Yates. So it'll be interesting to see if he, um, if he does makes any edits, right? If he just releases them as they were signed off by the intelligence agencies for classified stuff. Um, so yeah. All right. So we've got that. So anyway, today is the first time in a long time that we will actually be having a happy hour <laughs> instead of like a grumpy hour or a cranky hour um, for the show. So Michael Flynn's case had been falling apart for a while, especially after Sidney Powell took over the defense as his defense attorney. And as I've mentioned before, Sidney Powell is a seasoned um, defense attorney against the DOJ. Sidney Powell knows their number. She's got their number. And so you know as can I just take a moment? I'm going to cheer. Yeah. Let's let's go do ahead. A toast to Sidney Powell, who's oh. just a total badass. I'm toasting with sense. my Diet Pepsi right now to you. Let's clink okay. our glasses virtually. Clink. Okay. Clink. clink. Okay. Mm. Her girl, Sydney Powell. But once Sydney took over and she knows their number, um, that's when things started to get really problematic for the case. And ultimately, as the DOJ apparently uses as their business model, withholding uh, exculpatory evidence, which is a breach of the law, um, here too, we began to get some exculpatory information that was withheld from the defense. Um, and Mike Flynn had pled guilty to a crime he didn't commit, as as is quite frequently the way that prosecutors work. Most people in jail have pled down from something else. They've pled to right. something else. Right. This is not unusual. It's not exotic. And Flynn you know, who couldn't afford a millions and millions of dollars to hire an attorney because you can't just go hire like Better Call Saul when the department, the government comes after you. This isn't like a fender bender. There's just a really small number of attorneys who are qualified to represent someone who is in the crosshairs of the government. And those attorneys are very, very expensive. And so, you know what? Somebody who's yeah. close with Flynn I spoke with today, apparently he hired Covington, the firm partnered by Eric Holder, Obama's wingman uh, and attorney general, because they specialize in the Foreign Registration Act um, alleged violation. So apparently that was the reason he chose Covington from the get-go is because of his cons they were kind of targeting him about his affaire violation yeah with a turkey lobbying for him and then which went to his son so apparently that's why he went with that firm i just found that up today well that's interesting to it's important to also add that it is very oh i think it's almost unheard of that this that the DOJ would criminally prosecute someone's FARA paperwork not being in order. Normally, this is actually quite common in D.C. where people's papers aren't in order. And anyone who deals with the federal government knows that there's always a lot of paperwork. It's complicated. Um, and 
that people are not criminally prosecuted for that. They just backfile a FARA. Someone calls you up and goes, look, what you're doing is considered lobbying. You're acting as a foreign agent. And then they retroactively file their paperwork. It is not a criminal situation. This is like a new thing. And so they went after Flynn. He hired Eric Holder's firm because he thought this was Farah and didn't realize he was caught up in a coup um, attempt. And, you know, he he didn't have the money to keep fighting. They said they were going to go after his son. So he just pled to something to make it stop. I mean, this we're talking about three years of this man's life when he can't earn a living. Well, let's talk about it a little bit with this filing today. So first we got the clue that um, the Department of Justice prosecutor who was on the Mueller team, and let's be clear, let's be clear as Joe Biden says, let um, this plea agreement was made with the Mueller team, not, I mean, working on behalf of the Justice Department, but obviously a separate entity. So um, what's interesting, Liz, is we never really got the details about the conversation between Kislyak and Flynn that allegedly first violated the Logan Act and then set up this perjury trap. Um, So part of the filing today from the Justice Department asking the judge to dismiss the case against Mike Flynn talks about this vague conversation between Peter Strzok and the other agent and Mike Flynn in the White House. This is January 24th, 2017. Um, And it talks about, okay, according to FBI agents recollections, when asked if Mr. Flynn recalled any conversation in which he encouraged Kislyak not to escalate the situation, meaning the sanctions against Russia, in its response to American sanctions, Mr. Flynn responded uncertainly, stating, not really, I don't remember, it wasn't, don't do anything. Flynn also stated that although it was possible, he did not recall any conversation in which the ambassador stated that Russia would moderate its response due to Mr. Flynn's request. He stated that he did not have a long conversation with Kislyak to don't do something. I mean, when you start to read what they were trying to get him to say or what his responses were, it raises even more questions as if we need more about this accusation that he lied about his conversation well, with Kislyak. Let's because not it was forget. basically a faulty memory. It well, wasn't. But there's, remember, there's no reason to ask Flynn what he said to Kislyak because right. they knew what he said to Kislyak. That's the rub. If they have, the, they already had the transcript and the recording of the phone call. They had that. So if it was, they weren't like, I see you talk to the Russian ambassador what did you say because we don't know and we want to find out like hey can you tell us what they're up to or you know no no they knew exactly what was discussed on that phone call the only reason to talk to Flynn about that conversation was to trip him up so they had some leverage that there's literally no other reason no reason they have they have the conversation they don't even have someone telling them what was in the conversation They have the conversation. So this poor guy thinks he's just having a chit chat coffee clatch with some FBI bros. Right. Because there's no formal. That's right. You need a lawyer. We're going through the White House counsel. It's like, hey, I'm going to stop by. And the next thing you know, there that he can't remember. If, If I recall and I can't remember if someone told me this or I read it somewhere that 
Flynn was on vacation and had really bad cell reception. So he couldn't even keep a phone call on for that long. So there wasn't this lengthy half hour long strategy chat. It was a broken up short conversation. And he obviously had talked to many people because he was the incoming national security advisor. So, and Kislyak, as from what I understand, was repeatedly trying to get a hold of Flynn. Oh, he was. He was desperate to get a hold of him. Now, which is but, weird, right? Well, What's up I, with that, <laughs> I've written about this, and I'm hoping at some point in life we'll figure this out. Sergey Kislyak was the Russian ambassador. He was tight with the Obama people. He visited the Obama White House twice in October of 2016. Now, why would you be hanging out at the White House? Why would they entertain him there if his country is allegedly trying to attack our election? And Kislyak is the Russian who keeps popping up, right, in every Russian collusion scenario, whether it's um, Jeff Sessions, it was Carter Page, it was J.D. Gordon, it was Jared Kushner, and of course, Mike Flynn. And then who's in the White House the day after Trump fires Jim Comey? Sergey Kislyak. This guy is all over the place. So he's like photobombing the Russia hoax, right? Like, every, you know, there's like totally every time is. something happened, he's like orbiting around. You yeah, know? Not, it's definitely not a coincidence. Um, and so I'm hoping at some point we'll find out more about his role. But you're right. He was desperate to reach Flynn, who was on vacation. Flynn called the transition team before he returned Kislyak's call to ask for guidance about what he should say. I mean, the guy, Flynn really, you know, he's a general, so he's following the rules and following. He's also, he's also an intelligence officer who knew very well that any call that with Kislyak was being monitored. Well, and another thing that we need to remind people that I think a lot of people forget is that Flynn worked for Barack Obama. He worked directly for James Clapper and he got on their bad side because of his criticism of the intelligence community and how intelligence was being manipulated. He was critical of the Obama administration's approach to um, ISIS and in the Afghanistan war. So he got on Obama's hit list, which is a bad thing to do because Obama is uses is a Chicago machine, you know, bred politician. So then they use whatever government tools at their disposal to get back at you, which is exactly what he did. But um, so and now we're finding out more about Obama's direct role in that, too, which I think some of these transcripts are will show as well. Well, um, and also Joe Biden was at was at that right. notorious January 5th meeting, um, the one that was quote by the book, according to uh, what's her name? Rice, Susan, Susan Rice. So, uh, you know, I wonder if the media will you know, follow up with Joe Biden about what he knows and when he knew it. I'm just kidding. That's so cute. You think that. I know. <laughs> Bless your heart. God, really? That's right. But there's more. So there's we'll just read a couple of quick things um, again from the uh, the filing today by the Justice Department that it says um, in terms of lying, it has to be material to an investigation. Now, they had an investigation open on Flynn. They closed it January 4th. Strzok, Peter Strzok demanded that it was reopened. But the pretext for their conversation on January 24th was not related to their Russian collusion. It was the setup of this Logan Act violation that I think was concocted by Sally Yates, 
who was the acting deputy attorney general at the time, or she was going to be. Um, but it says here that the materiality threshold that ensures that misstatements to investigators are criminalized only when linked to the particular subject of their investigation. In this case of Mr. Flynn, the evidence shows his statements were not material to any viable counterintelligence investigation or any investigation, for that matter, initiated by the FBI. Um, Indeed, the FBI itself had recognized that it lacked sufficient basis to sustain its initial counterintelligence investigation by seeking to close that investigation without even an interview of Mr. Flynn, which is what we were just talking about. With its counterintelligence investigation no longer justifiably predicated, the communications between Mr. Flynn and Mr. Kislyak, the FBI's sole basis for resurrecting the investigation on January 4th, did not warrant either continuing that existing counterintelligence investigation or opening a new criminal investigation. The calls were entirely appropriate on their face. The phone calls. Um, it also gets into a little bit about his why he pleaded guilty. Um, and this is this document is available on Twitter and on, um, uh, on several Twitter accounts and on Scrimmed, however you say that. Um, but what's also interesting is how Comey circumvented Sally Yates. And you, there's always been some tension there between the two of them. But it kind of gets into the details of that as well. So there's some really interesting disclosures in this uh, filing to dismiss today. Well, without where she was like said she was like taken aback by mm-hmm. this Logan Act. She's like, what's the Logan Act? I'm so confused. Right. <laughs> what's it, that about? It says she was flabbergasted, dumbfounded, and other senior DO, DOJ officials hit the roof upon hearing of the development which was that Comey directed McCabe to call Flynn, that he was sending agents over, asked him not to have a lawyer, and that was... And they're required, I believe that they're required, the FBI agents are required to tell a government official that it's a crime to lie to the FBI. Like, there's a warning that they have to, they're supposed to give to Flynn saying or reminding whatever that, that... Anything he says that's a lie is a crime. And they didn't give him that warning because they didn't want to say that because they didn't want Flynn to know what was they didn't want Flynn to realize that this was, you know, an official visit and not just some, hey, what's up? How you doing? Well, and that's why they the emails that were disclosed last week by Sidney Powell show emails between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, and I, I don't know if it was Prestap or someone else. It was Phil Prestap's notes. The notes were prepping, his. Prepping McCabe how to respond to certain questions if Flynn asked about having a lawyer or investigation, et cetera, and how to, I guess, kind of dance around those. It's uh, just incredible. I mean, part of me wants to think that these people are just damaged and they really believed these lies. Rather than that, this was like a well-orchestrated coup, you know, like I want to think they're just so stupid. They did think that what Flynn was doing was against the law. I mean, either way is bad and either way they shouldn't be, you know, a a government employee and they shouldn't be in their positions at the DOJ. But but it's so incredible to think that the highest levels of the intelligence agencies um, plotted to 
take out and damage a presidency and 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 this innocent dude Mike Flynn right this guy who just was a supporter of the president and really just didn't do anything general. no big what? deal just yeah I know general. exactly so it's like you I part of me wants to think that they're just stupid and they were like yeah that's the Logan act that's that's serious rather than that they're they're treacherous. I mean, it's just crazy. It's the whole thing is crazy. I'm so happy that they dropped the case today. And I know that the, the corporate media is, you know, I've, you've, we've already seen their reactions on Twitter. Oh, but he lied. He still lied. Flynn's, you know, admitted to doing it. He's still a criminal and Barr is just doing this as a favor. And, you know, to that, to that, I say, these are the people who constantly are talking about how law enforcement are planting evidence, beating people up, framing them, forcing them to plead guilty with intimidation at the state and the local level all the time. And now when this happens in a federal situation, they're just like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. This is outrageous allegations. It's just I find it so ironic. Well, and what's also ironic is the man who made the phone call to Mike Flynn asking him to if it was okay to send the FBI agents over and to get prepped on that has admitted lying to his own FBI. This is Andrew McCabe admitted lying three times and lying under oath. I mean, Mike Flynn wasn't even under oath. Those agents went into the White House lying under oath. But of course, he is a CNN contributor. He has not had his career and reputation destroyed. He hasn't been bankrupted. He hasn't lost his house like Mike Flynn has. Um, But like the old saying goes now for Mike Flynn, where does he go to get his reputation back? I mean, he will, but, and Trump has kind of indicated that he would rehire him. Um, But, uh, you know, this is still- But in what position? He'll never get confirmed, right? He has to go through a confirmation. Can you imagine what that, like, it can't be in a confirmable slot. Right. Can you imagine? Never. So, you know, what, where, what would they put him? It's not that I think he shouldn't be, you know, given another, uh, but it's just like, I'm thinking this guy is so damaged by what has happened. I just don't, I don't think the Democrats are going to be like, yeah, you're right. We're wrong. Oh, never, never. Well, but you know, what's great is we're finally getting this drip drip of, um, of solid information now with the Mike Flynn case, which I think it, we need to note that it was Attorney General Bill Barr who tasked a uh, U.S. Um, prosecutor out of Missouri, I believe he is, Jensen, who was asked to review the Flynn case. And this has been the product of, you know, what we've been finding out that connected also with Sidney Powell's representation of Mike Flynn. So we're getting more information about that. But, um, you know, these transcripts that are now coming across the wire just as we're recording, there are some really interesting um, actors on this list. Do you want to go through a couple? I have a few that I would I'm going to read first. Okay, go ahead. Like, all right. So what would be your first one like okay you could only pick one so you're going you're you're stranded on a desert island (laughs) okay you can pick one transcript from the intel committee rice do 
you pick Samantha Power? Ooh, okay. I, tough. That's tough. It's a tie. It's a tie. Can I say a tie? Okay, say the tie and I'll 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 take it under advisement. The tie is Ben Rhodes, who uh-huh. was Obama's mind meld. And I'm gonna go totally outside the box with Sean Henry. Okay. Top FBI official for Robert Mueller's FBI and is a CEO at CrowdStrike, the firm that was hired by the Perkins Coie, same firm that hired Fusion GPS on behalf of the DNC to allegedly look at the hacked uh, DNC server. So I'm really interested in reading what he has to say. Well, that makes sense. There's some, um, there's quite a few David Kramer transcripts Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. are probably delicious. Um, Who's David Kramer for our... Oh, David Kramer is a longtime John McCain aide, and he is the one who went to London. Isn't he? Didn't he go to London to get the dossier from Christopher Steele, then brought it back for John McCain? He went to London to meet with Steele. Steele told him to get the dossier from Glenn Simpson in D.C., who already is a friend of David Kramer's, a longtime friend, got allegedly the dossier from him, gave it to McCain, um, but also... Glenn Simpson says that David Kramer is the one who gave the dossier to BuzzFeed. And that was yes the organization the, that first published the dossier. It's so fascinating. Like all of the entry points of the dossier, like into the federal government, right? Because that's not how the FBI got the dossier. You know, that's right. that there's different, you know, there's different steals working directly with the FBI and getting reports. And then you've got steel trying to get it, you know, going to David Kramer and saying, go get the dossier, go get the dossier here and then go in that way. And then it, it's just it's just like an octopus with all these entry points. So I would definitely want to want to read, um, take a look at David Kramer's. And I guess if I had to pick one other one, some of these are just morbid fascination. Like I'm just morbidly <laughs> fascinated to see what these people had to say. Um, I guess. Um, honestly, I'd want to read Hope Hicks because I'm sure, you know, being such a confidant, a Trump, I'm curious to see what kinds of questions they asked her. Right. And I mean, she really was caught up in this unjustifiably and then ended up leaving the White House. But, um, yeah, she would be a good one, too. She's back, though, isn't she? She's back. So, yeah. So that's good. Um. Yeah. So this is going to be a long night. I mean, I did not think he would release them this quickly. I thought that Grinnell was going to have to be the one to release them because Schiff was going to drag it out. Although I suppose this is a good time to release them because there's like coronavirus mania right now. Mm -hmm. And people are just focused on what their latest permissions are from our overlords about how we can live our lives, you know, whether right. we can get a pedicure. So, you know, this probably the the media has covered to ignore this because they'll just be like, oh, we're just we've got to talk about coronavirus. We can't talk about the coup attempt, the failed coup attempt. <laughs> oh, so. right. Right. Exactly. So but there are some really good I mean, you are getting close to Obama's inner circle. I mean, it is Ben Rhodes, Susan Rice, Samantha Power, um, then Hillary's the Clinton BFF. John Podesta is on this list. 
Um, so we're getting very close to, you know, to directly to the Obama White House, which it's worth noting yet again. Oh, and Sally Yates, too. That would be a really good one. It's Peter worth Frisch. Peter, Peter Frisch, Frisch would be interesting, too. He really would. Now, the ones that who are that are not being released are Comey, Mike Rogers and I believe Brennan. Those need to be released. Are they going to be released? I don't I'm not sure. I have to. I have to find that out. But um, it's also worth noting Obama has never been asked what he knew when he knew it. Not one journalist has tried to track him down. Can you uh, we play this game all the time? I know. And if this were a Republican president who did this to a Democratic opponent, a sitting president now whose FBI, DOJ, CIA had their fingerprints all over this. And no one has asked Barack Obama or Joe Biden one question about this scandal. Well, that's that's that goes for everything. Right. I mean, we see that in absolutely everything. If this were something Republicans administrations did to a Democrat president, there would be it would be like the media outside the O.J. Simpson trial, like outside the, you know, anyone's house that was associated with it. Right. With just constant cameras, people trying to ambush, getting statements instead a lot of these main players have just been allowed to go about their daily lives like nothing is different. They're not hounded. They're not stalked. They're not photographed in a coffee shop with somebody getting in their face. So, I mean, we we, we know that this would be treated entirely different. And that's that's the most important thing to remember out of all of this. None of these things are done on the basis of a principle. You know, this it's not it isn't really about rule of law and foreign powers and influence on our elections. It isn't. It's uh, it's strictly and exclusively about power. That's it. So and yeah. the media, as our friend Lee Smith has pointed out repeatedly, the media are accomplices in this. I mean, there's no tar- there's no targeting of the Trump campaign or transition team or or administration without the help of the Washington Post, the New York Times and CNN. I mean, they were the fertile, they were their account. They were like, they they drove the getaway car, right? Well, so they that you couldn't, you couldn't pull this off without the media, like as reinforcements. The only reason they did pull it off is because of the media. Can you imagine trying to do, do pull off this with a media that was actually inquisitive? And questioning you and said, hey, that's not true. Or you lied to me, so I'm not printing anything else you say to me. I mean, how many times have these leaks been wrong? And yet they keep go- they kept going back and getting more leaks. And, you know, the walls are closing in, that kind of shit, right? So they could not have pulled this off without the complicity, without the media accomplices. And because they knew that they had the media accomplices, that really probably enabled them to even to do it. You know, they knew they weren't going to be under scrutiny. They weren't going to be asked about it. There weren't going to be long exposés with any uh, with any influence. Right. I mean, you have some of us have been talking about this for over three years. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're not The New York Times or The Washington Post. You know, we're just we're just us, (laughs) which is which is important. But still. Yeah. Who are we? Um, well, and I, I think that 
that raises a whole other issue as to why the media continues to do what it's doing because they never, the people who have leaked, illegally leaked this information, for example, the Flynn conversation that was leaked to first David Ignatius at the Washington Post in early January of 2017, then full out disclosed to the Washington Post um, in February of 2017, which led to Flynn's resignation. Leaking that conversation, that classified material, which is an intercepted call or a, a surveilled call between a government, uh, incoming government official and another government official is a felony, right? It's a felony punishable up to 10 years in prison. The people who illegally leaked the FISA warrant on Carter Page to the Washington Post three years ago still have never been identified. And this nope, was- they're on the government payroll still. <laughs> well, they, prob they probably are. But, but until those people are identified and charged, the media and the deep staters, or as you call them, derp staters, which is funny, <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue this assault on what is fair and and not just the Trump presidency. It's everybody. It's Republican lawmakers. It's anybody that they politically oppose. Well, when when people aren't punished for the most severe crimes, then the public doesn't have confidence in the institutions anymore. And that's when you start to have a civil war when people don't respect these institutions they don't have any integrity because it's very one-sided and people are abusing the privileges that they are given because they as civil servants um we were made so many promises when the patriot act and various surveillance tools were introduced into government and promised that there would be safeguards and they wouldn't be abused. And basically they've been nothing but abused. And not only that, the people are gonna get away with it. And that is a real problem. And I know for a fact that the person who leaked that conversation to David Ignatius is still working. He's still getting a paycheck That's from the government. Right. That's right. And that's the terrifying part for... And not in jail. Meanwhile, the poor guy who took a selfie in a submarine spent some time in the Huskow. But <laughs> this guy, like, leaking a classified conversation between our national security advisor and an ambassador, it's like, whatever, bro. No big deal. Just, what a shame. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, so we're still awaiting... It looks like things we say this are picking up with the Durham investigation. John Durham is the prosecutor tasked by Bill Barr to look into the entire origins of the Russia um, collusion hoax and investigation. So we keep seeing little rattlings of what might be happening there. It looks like now anything might be pushed to the summer. So, but look, the clock is ticking, right? I mean, this was kind of what was happening in 2018 as people were pushing to get things done in the House because they were afraid that, you know, the Republicans would lose the House, which they did. Um, and so things- Well, we're in the same situation now. That's right. And so obviously if Durham doesn't come up with something soon and start charging people, indicting people, um, and Trump loses in November, this is all game over, right? They'll shut oh, everything down. It'll definitely, it has to be wrapped up. 
it, it has to be wrapped up before um, the election. And even if it is wrapped up, I think they probably I think Durham will be finished. Um, however, I think if Trump doesn't win what I don't think they'll prosecute anyone. You know what I mean? If they if he does this investigation and puts all these, you know, comes up with a bunch of prosecutions and crimes, I just think a Biden or whoever it's going to be might not be, be hologram Joe Biden. It might be Michelle Obama or whatever, or Cuomo, the elderly killer. Um, they'll just be like, ah, we're not prosecuting. You know, ah, we're not going to follow up with this. That's, right. that's what's going to happen. I mean, it <clears throat> it's unfortunate, but it's important for people to see this, even if Trump loses, so that at least they, they, they know, you know, at least they know what, what went on and they can make plans accordingly. I mean, if people, and you just touched on this, people don't see the institutional failure that we have across the board and across the country, if there's any benefit to the coronavirus crisis, um, which will, it will take years to kind of unravel and, and process, it is that we really can't count on any institution, any government official, any anybody to do what's right and to protect the best interests of the country. And that is a frightening prospect. So you have all of these kind of things converging at the same time. Um, and the idea that this is a that we are a country now trying to prepare for a nationwide election with big consequences, right? Because we're talking about electing governors and state houses who will then remap their legislative districts based on the 2020 census. So this is a really important election, not just for the White House, but across the board. Um, who deserves our trust? Really, nobody. That's a good, that's a really, that's a really good point, especially because God, we, smart I get you I are smart. It could be the wine talking too, though, because we're like almost 40 minutes in. That's 40 <laughs> minutes worth of wine. So I get smarter when I drink personally. Um, I even my brain filters even more relax. If you can imagine that, that I'm in any way restrained um, with my thoughts. But that's a good seg into um, the, our the other topic of the day, which is always the ubiquitous coronavirus panic. Mm -hmm. And the Center for Disease Control, the incompetent agency that bumbled the tests that put us like 10 days behind testing for the virus, has released some election opinions <laughs> that right. we really need to have a vote by mail election, uh, which is odd because they have nothing to do with elections and I'm not sure why they thought they needed to weigh in, but I... I do know why they needed to, they thought they needed to weigh in. But uh, Julie, what are your thoughts about the CDC? Well, I have a piece up on Friday. So this would be today when our podcast airs or whenever it does air. Um, so I have a piece up today about the CDC basically is now going to replace the FBI and the DOJ and the CIA of 2016. They are now the federal agency populated by deep staters and tasked with interfering in the 2020 presidential election. So to your, what you're saying is yes, they have recommendations on their site about um, 
absentee voting, mail-in ballots, um, also drive up voting because what could go wrong there, right? So it's just like a drive up. Everything you can vote drive up and now. get swabbed at the like. Can you imagine? It's a coronavirus <laughs> polling place. It's all two in one. It's Here's what you do: you drive up somewhere, get your martini, get your drive up martini somewhere, <laughs> or your shot of whiskey. Then you go get swabbed really quick. Then you go vote, and you never have to leave the comfort of your whatever range you could also get like an an illegal haircut right (laughs) those are illegal too right now so yeah that's just so ridiculous that the cdc is putting out these guidelines or whoever did this should be fired um well they should and because mail-in balloting is a long-term absentee balloting a long-term goal of the democrats we see how it worked for them in 2018 they basically stole four or five house seats in California with mail-in ballots. So they're trying to do this. Barack and Michelle Obama are very outspoken for um, uh, mail-in ballots. So this is the CDC trying to interfere, meddle in our election. They have no purview to do this. Um, So yes, another agency where Trump needs to clean house, but They're even more alarming guidance, this report that the CDC put together about extending our misery based on social distancing. (laughs) Um, So there's a big report today. You probably saw it. The AP said this report came out and the White House thankfully has shelved it because it is ridiculous. I'm reading through this and writing the report, my column for, for Friday. And it's not like a human being could have produce this report or anyone with the heart or anyone with friends because it basically would have our kids locked down in schools. It would cancel all field trips, all extracurricular activities, all it would shut down cafeterias. It would basically have our kids six feet apart in a classroom, never switching classes, furiously wiping down their desk and their writing utensils and their laptops. They're in um, bubbles. They're just each person is in like a body condom. Where they're, they're all, like, John, you know, it's like John Travolta. You're, you're all <laughs> the boy in the bubble. Boy in the bu- boy in the plastic bubble. <laughs> that was such a good movie, wasn't it? Well, it's going to be more than a movie if the CDC gets its way. Churches, um, you would have to stand six feet away from people. You so of course you can't join hands in prayer or you know give blessings of peace like you do. Uh, no choirs, no music. What about communion? Like where are they on communion? No yes communion. Or no? There'd be there'd be no communion. Um, get this. Oh, come on. No, this is insane. I mean, if you want to see why. Robert, well, is it Robert Redfield? It's not Robert. Yeah, Redfield. Redfield. Redfield should be immediately fired, uh, along with Fauci and Dr. Burks. They should all be fired. Redfield was the dude that, like, against Trump's wishes, allowed the first cruise ship with coronavirus people to dock. That's right. That that was Redfield. That was his call. Um, Right. And he, what else did he do that was... He hasn't really been around as much. He's not as visible. But well, that's because I think he got scene. put in the, the corner. I think Trump put him was really angry about the cruise ship. And um, he kind of got put in the penalty box for mo- for the basically the rest of it. 
so it's interesting, though, why they would produce this document, which they know is so outlandish and unrealistic. And then, of course, another anonymous official leaked it to the Associated Press. They published it. But thank God, because it's crazy. Nobody will read it. Right. They're just going to say, oh, my God, Trump didn't listen to the CDC. Um, so this sounds like fun. Consider whether other gatherings may have to have attendance limited or be held virtually if social distancing is difficult, such as funerals, weddings, religious education classes, youth events, support groups, and other programming. I mean, doesn't a virtual wedding sound so much fun? Oh, it sounds festive. <laughs> it sounds festive. You know, the the, the interesting thing that I haven't point that I haven't seen anyone make probably because I'm so smart is that let's say, you know, you live in a state that's just reckless or not reckless. Let's say normal. And they're like, okay, we're everything's back to normal. No restrictions. Go about your way. If you're that nervous or freaked out, like I keep seeing people, you know, they're wailing and lamenting and gnashing their teeth about this danger. You can still do that. Like you don't just because other people are going about their normal business, you can still try and stay six feet away from them and wear a mask. You know what I mean? It's like this idea that everybody has to do it or no one has to do it. No, that's not true. If you're nervous, you can take measures yourself. Stay six feet away from people. Don't go to a restaurant if you feel like it's unsafe. You know, I mean, these people, are they... Are they saying that they would go out to a restaurant if the tables were six feet away, but now they won't because the tables are three or four feet away? Because let's be honest, how far apart are tables normally? It's not like they're right. I mean, I don't know. I eat in nice restaurants. So, you know, they're not they're not close together anyway. So you can take your own steps to to protect yourself. Without everybody having to do the same thing. But there's no need, right? So these heightened, harsh measures are ratcheting up at the same time that we are finding out exactly what this virus is all about, which is that it poses very little threat to the general population, certainly no danger to kids. Um, Most people who have the infection have been asymptomatic. They're not even sure exactly how it's transmitted in the general population outside of the New York City subway system or a nursing home. <laughs> right. But Cuomo, you know, he's our he's our hero. Right. Um, so outside of nursing homes, say meatpacking plants, but even in the meatpacking plants, all the people who are tested positive, um, most of them are asymptomatic and very few people express symptoms and there's very few fatalities. So. What does that say about the need to continue these really harsh, punitive measures in the face of a virus that now we're finding out is less lethal, less dangerous than the flu? Well, right, because it's not really about public health, right? I mean, this isn't isn't really about public health. This is about seeing how much the government can control a population and how they can use the fear and the pretext of a pandemic to get their political interests advanced. That's, that's a large part of 
what it is. That's why we're seeing all these suggestions for things like vote by mail and, you know, stopping people from going to church. A bunch of governors tried to, like, make it illegal to buy guns. You know, like all these sort of fundamental (laughs) rights all of a sudden are getting curtailed that literally have nothing to do with the spread of a of a of a disease it's um it i think that that's their motivating force here is just a control of of the public so this all feeds into what we're saying though you can't so you can already see the social distancing is yielding major political benefits for the democrats right so the economy has crashed Trump's signature issue is gone and actually will work against him. Um, He hasn't been able to leave the White House in five or six weeks. He finally went out to Arizona, but all of the Trump rallies, which like that's his only drug, right? He doesn't drink. He doesn't really do anything naughty. So these Trump rallies are his his stimulant. And so he has been forbidden to do anything like that, stuck in Washington, D.C., listening to Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks rattle on and on about the Murray model and the Ferguson model. Um, And so, but at the same time, it keeps Joe Biden under wraps. So he's sequestered, shuttered away in his home studio library where Jill is there to, you know, help keep him awake and and have him recite his teleprompter script. He's in his holodeck. Like, that's a Star Trek reference. If we have any Star Trek fan listeners, I'm a huge Trek fan. That's the place where they would go. It's like a computer-generated reality. Like, you'd walk in. It looks like a grid. And you go, computer, make it the Oval Office. And then it just turns in the Oval Office, and they would play game. You know, it was like, that's like where Joe Biden is right now. He's like virtual hologram Joe Biden. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to, I have to get that in at every show. No, I like the analogy because I'm not it's a true. person, but I'm, I call him Max Headroom, which is the Close. 80s reference. Yeah. Fair. So th- that has succeeded in keeping him under wraps, canceling the Democratic National Convention over the summer. So I think they're basically going to just keep him on ice until the November election. And then like Smith said in the podcast interview yesterday, Biden is just the avatar. You will have Obama and his people back in charge. Right. That's 100 percent, 100 percent true. And you can see if you pay close attention to the media like I do, because I follow so much news from all of the corporate media outlets, it's it's very clear the patterns of the messaging. So like today's message, there were two main ones. There were several, three or four different stories at major outlets talking about how antibody tests are useless, right? So they've held out antibody tests as like a, quote, solution. It's ridiculous, but whatever. It's one of the pretend things that that they hold out as like a Scooby snack for the public. Like, well, maybe things can get back together, back to normal if everybody gets antibody tested. And then, of course, they need to dump a bucket of water on that because they don't want people, they don't want anyone any governor being like, we'll just antibody test everyone and open things up because they don't want that. So that's one. The other one is even though the evidence suggests that it's very that children very rarely get this and when they get it, they don't transmit it. So they need to do something about that, because obviously getting people, you know, scaring people about their children is like the number one motivator in the whole world. So now they're talking about this 
mysterious disease that children get. Oh, right. Right. The Kawasaki syndrome. Kawasaki, right. So th- those are the two things. If you go through and browse all the media every day, you can see that there's like a concerted effort to do two things. One is to get out a message about whatever possible solution might be out there, like hydrochloroquine. There's also a hit on remdesivir today saying it's too expensive and no one will be able to afford it. They can only give like a hundred thousand doses. So they want, they want to poo poo that. And at, and at the same time, they want to complain about the consequences of their own shutdown that they advocated for. So it's remdesivir is too expensive. Antibodies don't work. And also all these people don't have jobs anymore and they don't, they didn't get the paycheck protection money and um, the local, local businesses are closing, you know, that it's just all from all angles, right? It's just a big fat scare you and also make you depressed because your, your community is falling apart. Well, and I do think that that is the long-term goal and that is kind of in the CDC guidelines. It's just to make people miserable. I mean, this is just punishing people. It wants to keep people down. It wants to strip you of everything that makes you happy in life, whether it's going to church, going out to dinner, being engaged in your kids' schools. I mean, they don't want any outdoor people in public schools, even though we pay for them. So this is just a prescription for despair. And hopefully then they're thinking that this will manifest itself in getting rid of Trump, which you know, it's just like a 2016 playbook with different players and, but far greater consequences. Um, Well, it's a good effective recipe for an election strategy, which is you build people up or tear them down so low that the promise of peace, right, of better, something better, even if the solutions are absurd and ridiculous, just that promise alone will get votes. And it's really easy to do because Biden is going to be like, you know, he's just like a, um, you know, like a mascot, right? He doesn't, he's not going to be, he, he's not going to be credibly appealed to for a, a good solution, right? I mean, they're going to say Trump's screwing everything up. Every decision he made is wrong or is making is wrong or will make. But no one will say to Joe Biden, what would you do to make things better? Because, you know, Joe Biden does very selective media. The media gets pitches him softballs. You know, what's your favorite color, Joe? Did you have chocolate or vanilla Ensure shake this afternoon? Nobody asks him tough questions. So he's he's allowed to be like, um, you know, like this aspirational hero um, when uh, my background's in polling. Right. And one of the questions that you are usually we usually would put on a on a on a survey is, you know, do you think Donald Trump should be reelected or do you think it's time to give someone else a chance? And no matter what, no matter how popular the named person is, almost always a minor a majority will say they want to give someone else a chance because in their head they have like a fantasy candidate, right? perfect guy, fixes everything he touches, turns to gold, turns the city around, blah, blah, blah. That's what people think, this abstract idea of the perfect candidate, of the perfect politician. That's what they're using as a model for Biden. Keep Biden down low, remind people how great things were during the Obama years, and, Mm -hmm. you know, not actually put him on the spot and force him to answer specific 
questions because anytime they have asked him or he's kind of contributed something about what he would do, it's actually stuff Trump's already done. I would shut down travel from China. Okay, Joe, we did that like two months ago. Or, you know, you know, I would tell people to stay six feet away. Okay, also already done. Wash so, your hands. Don't touch your face. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, wear a mask. Or wait, don't wear a mask. Oh, wait. Yeah, wear a mask. No, but that's the thing is that they're keeping Joe this like aspirational hero, abstract hero. Well, Trump's the one in the grinder and they need to keep that environment going so they can keep that charade up just to get Biden in because whoever Biden's probably going to crap out like if God forbid he wins he'll probably crap out like he'll maybe make it to inauguration and then he'll hand it off to whoever is the woman of color or whatever who he's picked as his VP or you know he'll just be taking naps in the Oval Office while the Ben Rhodes is making the calling the shots again right um, and it's interesting, he still has not picked a VP because we're getting into May and, um, you know, close to the time where people would start. We still have the governor of um, Georgia, Stacey Abrams. She's still the, gov- right. the, the, the governor of Abrams land. Um, <laughs> but what, but what, why do you think I'm curious to know, Julie, why do you think he hasn't picked a, picked a VP candidate? I have a, I have an idea, but I want to hear what you have to say. Because um, the people who are really in charge of him haven't decided yet. So it's not like he is going to. I mean, it's kind of funny to think of Joe Biden, like pouring over, you know, resumes and video clips of people <laughs> and looking at their credentials to see. Like, you know, this. Like, he's just sitting there eating jello, waiting for his next Jimmy Fallon hit. Um, so the people who are pulling the strings are looking. I think that. um Gretchen Whitmer was on the top of his list. Thankfully, she has burned her credibility with her um, wicked witch of the Midwest routine. So um, but it's very likely he could just pull somebody. They could pull somebody who's totally obscure um, just to kind of shake things up a little bit. Okay, well, let me tell you what I why I think that they haven't. they, they, they haven't picked one because as soon as they pick one, that person is going to be on the spot and they're going to have to go out and try and campaign in a limited environment. But then they're going to be they're They're basically going to be, you know, interviewed, right? That you're going to have somebody that's going to take over what Biden should be doing, but can't, you right. know, and and that puts them in a bad spot because then if you have like a younger, healthier person, like physically healthier, not mentally healthier, but also somebody who's not in like middle to late stages of dementia out there, then that makes Joe Biden look worse because where is he? So they don't they can't have that. And also at the same time, once that person comes forward who is lucid, right, that those people are that person is going to be put on the spot. They're going to have to talk about things. They're going to have to they're no longer going to be that aspirational hero candidate. They're going to be a real person with a history, with a past record. And they're going to be asked questions about things that are going on right now. And those are tough questions. So right now, Biden has it really good. They they call him up. They ask him, is he you know, is he enjoying playing like what is that like Animal Kingdom on his phone or, you know, just (laughs) what? You know what I mean? Like, it's, he's you, watching like old reruns of or, like 
gun smoke or something. Or all in the family. And then, you know, oh, did you bake bread today, Joe? You know what I mean? The, that That's where Biden is. That's the level he's being treated. But as soon as you have another person out, especially somebody who's a politician, right, who's wh- whether it's a Klobuchar or um, a Kamala or Governor Stacey Abrams of Abramsville, um, that that person is going to be that person is going to establish a record, a history, a bunch of positions that can then in turn be ripped apart by the Trump campaign. Hard to really go after Biden because, you know, I think that the Trump campaign hasn't attacked his time in the Obama administration, but it's been a while since he was the senator. But if you have somebody fresh out of the Senate that's placed votes on all the controversial issues recently, yeah, I think that that's going to be tougher for the campaign. They have it really good now. So I think they are going to draw this out as long as possible. Right. Without a, without a nominee, without a, a veep. It's uh, it's an interesting time to see how this is all coming together, you know, with I never thought that Biden would last. I'm surprised that he has. But, um, you well, know, they're not like they're not wearing him out. You know what I mean? It's not like. He can't go another day. What like he probably sleeps most of the days. Maybe he's some applesauce or you know what I mean? Like what it, it's not like it's a rigorous schedule for Joe. They just prop him up, you know, and he always has like a wet nurse, whether it's Lady Gaga or Mrs. Doctor Dr. Jill Biden, future uh Surgeon General mm-hmm. with her education doctorate. Um, you know, covering covering. So they, he can just put out commercials, you know, pop in for like a quick, you know, 45 second TikTok or whatever, and then just go away. And he's not called on it and say, what would you do? What would you, how would you open up the states? What would you suggest? No, nobody's asking him that. So they're going to milk this because it's a really an ideal situation for somebody who has been, who is a career politician. The longer you've been in office, the more things you have to explain over the course of your career and the less Biden has to put his head up, the better for the campaign. That's right. Right. Well, and Trump, I mean, he is going to have a tough time with this economy and what's, I mean, we are only at the beginning of what is going to be a total catastrophe economically. I mean, we had more unemployment numbers come out today. So we're now at roughly 33 million unemployed Americans. Um, They're looking at like negative double digit GDP for the second quarter. I know he keeps saying that um, the economy is going to come back bigger and better. It's hard to see that happening before November because you have so many people unemployed, but you have this fear factor Um, Whether you're a small business owner, you are a restaurant owner, whatever the sector is, airline industry. I mean, you go down the list. These are industries that are going to be changed for a very long time. And so it's not like, you know, everybody says, okay, we're going to open up and these 33 million jobs come back because they aren't. And so, oh, they're totally there's going to be so much cannibalism. Like, I think businesses are going to cannibalize significant parts of their labor force because this new um, these new circumstances have really, you know, with the financial loss, you can't really afford to float anybody anymore. So 
you know, when you're looking for that excuse to get rid of, you know, the office dead weight, now you've got it. And you do hear that talking to business owners. I mean, whether it's, you know, my husband or whoever, they're thinking more of a place of scarcity than where they were even three months ago, which was abundance. So they're, you know, things that they're cutting back now. And then you realize, well, okay, I, I can live without this, or, you know, I can function without this person, or I can function without these expenses. Um, that's not, I mean, it's going to be a very different uh, business world and certainly economy long-term than it was even two months ago, which is a huge shock factor for, for everybody. Yep. It, it's, it's crazy. I don't, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to play out, but I definitely don't think, I mean, we were, we were, um, you know, promised that this would be a V, right? Oh, it's going to pop back up. Absolutely not. First of all, you're going to have a lot of businesses that are just never going to reopen, right? They're just not coming back no matter what. So that's what percentage would you, would you say of businesses are just gone? I would say it could be up to, you know, maybe 20 to 25%, if not 30%, they're just wiped out, the small businesses. I've seen that in my hometown in Vegas, all these places that I grew up with, they've been institutions, they're just shutting down. They're like, it's over, we can't wait it, we, you know, we we can't, not only can they not make it financially with no revenue coming in, there's no way that they would ever make it up once things did open. People don't, remember that it's not like you can open up and you're opening up to business as usual we're getting these these requirements oh you can only have 25 percent of of capacity okay well if you've just lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because you've been closed for two months and then they say well you can make 25 percent of your typical revenue who's gonna say okay yeah (laughs) they're gonna be like well wait a minute how much how long can I even go on with that when I'm never gonna recoup my loss so, yeah, I just I, I think it's going to be it's going to be bad. The longer this drags out, the more small businesses are going to close. And the more these large businesses, which are basically enemies of God fearing patriot patriotic citizens like Amazon um, and uh, Google or whatever that aren't affected, they're just getting even more powerful and more influential. I mean, it's, it's a bad time. It's definitely a bad time. It is. And, it, it, you know, the impact, too, on our kids. I mean, I have a, a college student and a high school student, you know, what this long term is going to mean for them, that lessons that they're absorbing, you know, how to explain to them this is not how the world should work. You should resist this group think, you know, that's but you have kids who have you know, they left school in the middle of March for spring break to never go back to their schools again, to never see friends again, never see teachers again. Their activities have been canceled for the spring and now the summer. Um, The disruption of of tens of millions of kids, you know, college age, high school and grade school. I think that's a huge impact that we're overlooking now, but we're going to pay for in the future. Oh, can you imagine just having the like the last quarter of your senior year in high school ruined? No. Are you kidding? I mean, honestly, when I think back of the greatest times of my life, it that is one of them. You know, my senior, right? Yeah. Prom, like basically, you've checked out, but you're still with your friends. You go to school, but it's kind of like a coffee club, right? You're going, you know, you're out. You're out all night at prom. I mean, I can't 
even imagine. And then the summer following that, right, the summer before you go away to college, that's also just like a lost summer, you know? It's the best. And these kids have none of that. I mean, they... They had no of those, none of those rites of passages, right? Their summer is ruined because there's no jobs. There's no, there's no excitement to go to, away to college because they're not even sure if their colleges are going to be open. Um, so it's, it's very traumatic for these kids. And, you know, people can laugh off, oh, who cares? Oh, you know, there were kids on a storming Omaha Beach in, you know, 1944. Who cares if you miss your graduation? But, I mean, that's a legit thing. And yeah. so um, it's it's very traumatic for these kids. And so, you know, I don't think we need to prolong it anymore. Yeah. Well, that's our hour. It's over an hour because we're so happy. I, know. I um, didn't even finish my glass of wine either. So that's Julie, I know. you're disappointing me. Well, I want to stay quasi sober so I can read some of these transcripts. Oh, yeah. Although, who knows? I can't imagine a better reason to start drinking. (laughs) Right. Right. In one of those days. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we will be back next week. And hopefully, we'll be happy just like we are today. So, have a great week and see us. See you next Friday. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.